Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Thank you, Karen. Um, thank you, everybody, for being with us this morning. Um, this is definitely a, uh, a unique morning. Uh, uh, thanks for, for sticking with us. Um, thank you all for all your love and care. So many of you have reached out and, and love and care for us over the last couple of days. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Karis is feeling a ton better. Nobody else has gotten it yet. So um, we're really, really thankful for that. Um, again, this morning, uh, glad to be here. Um, if you're new with us or you're looking to connect, maybe get uh, you know, plugged into uh, our, our Slack channel as a church. So that's a, actually the fastest way to get information. Or if you want to get our newsletter, you can fill out a connect card. And in the chat, you should see a link that says, uh, it says co forestills.org slash connect and that will take you to that connect form you can fill out we'll send you a free gift as well for doing so um our values as a church we talk about these every sunday because they're foundational to who we are are the gospel community and mission that that the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we could be, be a part of God's family, um, that um, he paid for our sins and that we are now called children of God. And so um, as, as for all who trust Jesus. Uh, secondly, community, uh, that we were created for relationship, that the, that the gospel brings us into that family. Um, and then lastly, mission, that um, that uh, the good news is just too good to keep to ourselves. So we demonstrate the gospel by living lives that reflect the kingdom of God. And then also we declare the gospel with our words by telling others about the hope of Christ. Um, a few announcements this morning. As you see this morning, we're on Zoom. Uh, we are going to be on Zoom for the next two weeks. And then we should be back to kind of our normal schedule in, uh, in January. And then hopefully we'll be having an in-person service sometime in mid-January. And then uh, the, the last announcement is uh, the Koa Christmas Classic. We're a part of a network of churches, which is a huge blessing uh, being uh, connected to the other city on the hill churches across Boston. And one of the things we usually do is a, new, is a uh, Christmas Eve service. And obviously we can't do that this year because of the coronavirus, but we're doing something very special called the Koa Christmas Classic uh, that will be showing on uh, the afternoon of Christmas Eve. I think we believe some around four or five o'clock. We're still going to nail the time down, but we want you to be a part of it. Now, you, you may have seen some emails about this or some communication about it, but we want you to uh, submit a Merry Christmas video. So just in the video, just you submit it. It's, it'll say Merry, just say Merry Christmas, um, about five seconds. Uh, there should be a link for that. I'm not sure if that, that got communicated. If not, I'll make sure you get that link after the service. But I, look, for me, this is a competition. I want us to beat all the other city on the hill churches and have the most submissions because I'm really competitive. So, you know, do it for me. If, if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for me um, because I want to see us beat the other churches with the most Merry Christmas uh, wishes. So um, that is it for the announcements. Um, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount over the last couple of months. We started back in chapter five in the middle of September. We're rounding the corner. We, we only have three more sermons today in the next two weeks, and we will be out of the Sermon on the Mount. And it has been this invitation to the flourishing life. Jesus invites us into a life that's truly flourishing, that is the meaning of life, that gives us purpose in the world. And he says that this life is a life in a kingdom with him as our king. And that Jesus is a king who came to make all things right. He said that he came to establish his kingdom, that the kingdom of God is here. And so we're to live in a way uh, that actually fulfills us, that following after Jesus in this kingdom fulfills that purpose that we're all called to, and it gives us 
fulfillment in our souls. And we do so, we live this life to the glory of God and for the good of others. And so how we live matters. It doesn't just matter for us personally to be personally fulfilled, but to impact the world that we live in. We believe that our world, our city, our neighborhoods will be a better place because of God's people living out lives that are just, that are seeking equity, that are about restoring dignity where it has been removed. Because one day that's what the world's gonna look like. It's gonna look like that uh, when when Jesus's kingdom is fully consummated in the world. And so throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, there have been, Jesus has been kind of laying out two different ways that we can live. Um, and, and he's been, from the very beginning, he's laid out, he said, there's one way you can choose that leads to life, another way you choose that doesn't. And, and we see this in the Beatitudes. That there's this kind of this upside down uh, path to flourishing that, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who pursue righteousness. Um, and that's compared against kind of the hustle life that we hustle and we get ours and that the key to life and success is what we can do to get it for ourselves. And Jesus says, those are two, two different ways. There's one way that's about denying ourselves. There's another, it's about gratifying our desires. There's one way that's about uh, being good inwardly and another that's looking good outwardly. We can either see God's glory or our own glory. We can have peace with God, believing he's in control, or we can anxiously attempt to be in control. And in this last section, Jesus really brings all of this home. He's saying, you have to make a decision. Which way are you going to live? All of us are faced with that decision, and you will make one decision or the other. Now, how do you make decisions? Uh, some of you hate to make decisions, and you will avoid making a decision at any cost. So you can, you know, throw the emoji up, throw the thumbs up or the hand like this. If, you, if you're one of those people who will avoid making a decision at any cost, um, so you avoid it. Some of you get a, a kind of analysis paralysis. You just, you analyze it to death and you can't possibly make a decision. Uh, some of you will delay it as long as possible. Others are really good. You make a spreadsheet and you lay out all the pros and the cons and it's color coded and, and, and that helps you make your decision. You punch it in. There's a mathematical formula. And some of you are like, you know what? I'm just going to make a decision. I'm going to cover my eyes. I'm going to press the button. I'm going to take the blue pill. And like that, that's how I make decisions. Um, but what causes us to, to be uncertain about a decision is the, is the outcome. It's the uncertainty of the outcome. It's kind of like the old uh, game show, uh, Let's Make a Deal. You may not have seen it, but you probably heard, you know, what's behind door number one. And, you know, there's three doors and one door has a prize behind it. And the other two, there's either nothing or someone's like going to punch you in the face. And, and we're, we don't, that's how we think of decisions in life. That's how we think of the road that we're called to take in life is that we're not sure what's behind door number one and what's behind door number two. But what if I could tell you with certainty that one way leads to life and the other leads to death? The one way leads to flourishing, that the other leads to frustration and to fruit, fruitlessness. And that's what Jesus is saying. He makes it very simple. He says there are only two ways to live. One leads to life, one leads to death. So we see first that there are two roads with two very different destinations. And so we want to know which is the right choice to make. And so Jesus tells us in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy to lead to destruction. That's one way. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow the other way, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus lays out two, two ways. Why is the, the wide way is easy, the narrow way is hard, and that's the one that leads to life. Only one of these works. There, there's no other way. 
Jesus is making it clear that there is only one way to a fulfilling life. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. Now, this flies in the face of kind of our modern cultural narrative, doesn't it? Our modern cultural narrative is that there are many roads, but one destination. So you can believe whatever you want to believe. They all get you to God. It's kind of like Google Maps. You know, you look on Google Maps and it gives you three or four different options. This one may take 15 minutes longer. This one, you know, you can take the scenic route. Oh, you can click and there will be no tolls. You can avoid highways. You know, it might take a little bit longer, but you'll get there eventually. And so because that's our cultural narrative, you might be told that if you say there's only one way to heaven, there's only one way to God, um, that you're arrogant. You might be called a bigot. You might even be called narrow-minded. I think we may actually get that from this text. And the idea here is like, well, don't all religions say basically the same thing? How can you say that there's right and wrong? How can you make that truth claim? Well, the problem with that is that to say that there is multiple ways, to say that you can't say that there's right and wrong, to say that you can't make that truth claim is a truth claim. Everyone, every worldview, every religion, every way of thought claims truth. And every one of them says that some things either explicitly or implicitly are right and then other things are wrong. This is relativism. And what relativism says is basically you're all wrong. And I'm going to tell you how to believe what your belief system says it should the way you should believe it. And that's actually arrogant to say that if if a person's belief system says that there's only one way that they're practicing it wrong. See. The question is not fairness, and that's what's behind relativism, this idea that there's multiple ways. is How is it fair that God would send some people to hell or, or, or not include some people in his kingdom and include others? But the real question is, is it true? Is it the wide way that gets us there, or is it the narrow way? Which one of these ways works? Because these are competing visions for flourishing. These are competing, competing visions for the type of life that we're, we want to live. And so when we look at the wide road, which is one option, the wide road has two lanes and there's a lot of people on it. And there's, there's a religious lane and there's a non-religious lane. The religious lane, um, whether that's Islam, which has its five pillars or Buddhism and the eightfold path or Judaism, which is the, is the idea that you need to adhere to the law, uh, the 10 commandments, they all boil down to this. I need to do this in order to get to the flourishing life. I need to follow these things in order to get to peace with God. Well, the non-religious version is not a whole lot different. It just takes, it basically just takes that and says, well, instead of following someone else's rules, I'm going to follow my own rules. I make the rules. And so it's about self-expression. I need to, I need to become who are or become who I actually am. I need to express who I actually am or self-actualization, but I need to become deep down in my soul who I actually think that I really am. And both of these from this wide land are trying to get to the place of the good life of figuring out how do we flourish by their own efforts. You see, everyone, everyone worships. Everyone worships something or someone. Everyone chooses a way. Everyone makes a truth claim. In fact, everyone evangelizes. When you see an ad on TV or on Facebook or Instagram, what is that ad doing? It's evangelizing you. It says, do this, buy this, take this, and it will get you to the good life. And so if the question is, is what is true? It's our obligation to ask which one of these roads actually leads to, to real life. Which one of these makes sense of the world? Which one of these gives the, the best explanation of what is true, what is beautiful, what is good? 
And once we figure that out, we should tell everybody about it. It's, it's not hateful to tell other people that they might be going down the wrong road. In fact, Rebecca McLaughlin, who wrote this incredible book called Confronting Christianity, said, attempting to persuade others to change their belief is a sign of respect. You're treating them as thinking agents with the ability to decide what they believe, not just products of their environment. Jesus is saying that all of these other ways They all lead to destruction, but the narrow gate, the narrow way leads to life. And there's only one way. He's really exclusive when he says this. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There's no escape clause. There's no back road. There's one way. He says in Acts chapter chapter 4, the apostles pick up the same idea. And they say, and there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name that you can call him. There's no other pathway. There's no other way than Jesus. He's saying, I am the only way you get there. And it's this narrow road that few take. And and it's hard because you don't always get rewarded immediately for it. It's hard when we see other people sometimes and we see that, I mean, we often ask the question, and the psalmist asks the question, why did the wicked prosper? But our hope is that what's on the other side of that gate, what's at the end of that road is worth it. Because here's what separates Jesus's way from every other way. The wide gate, again, says, I do this, and then I get the good life. But Jesus actually came to us, and he walked the road for us. He entered the narrow way for us. He died for us. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, I know where safety is. I know the way out. Trust me. Follow me. See, that's faith is that we receive by faith that Jesus has done the will of God and that he lived the life that you and I could not live. That he died a death that you and I deserve. That's the only way that you get there. And it's a narrow way. And so when we think about it being narrow, that really means two things. One, it means it's personal. The narrow gate is not a gate you can enter in going shoulder to shoulder. You can line up in a line, but you've got to go in and you have to deal with you and Jesus personally. Your parents' faith can't get you in. Your, your spouse's faith can't get you in. Your kids' faith can't get you in. Hanging around church people can't get you in. You have to make it your own. You have to deal with your specific sins before Jesus. And Jesus has to forgive your sins. You have to submit your life to him. But secondly, um, you can't take anything with you. You know, if you were hiking, imagine you're trying to squeeze inside of a crevice in a rock. And you're trying to squeeze through to get to the other side, maybe to this beautiful waterfall. You have to take off your backpack. You can't take that with you. To go through the gate to the narrow way, Jesus is saying you have to lay down your preferences. You got to leave your will and your agenda and your prejudices and your sins behind because complete allegiance to Jesus means you've got to squeeze through that narrow gate. This was the problem with a rich young ruler. He was unwilling to lay down his riches because saying, I want you, Jesus, but I can't let go of that doesn't work. That's, that's the call. The call to follow Jesus is a call to self-denial. I love the way the Sam Albury puts it. He says, Jesus says, all of us have to say a profound no to some of our deepest longings and intuitions. That is discipleship. The wonderful paradox of the Christian faith is that we deny self, as we deny self, we become our real selves. 
And what we find on the other side of that is we lay everything down and we follow Jesus as we find life with God. We find God himself. So which road are you on? Are you on the easy road where you're trying to do things on your own? Or are you on the road, the narrow road that Jesus has walked for you and given us life for you? And so Jesus gives us two warnings to help us figure out where we're at. The first one he gives us is in verse 15. He tells us, watch who shapes you. Beware of false prophets. Why should we beware of false prophets? Because they're really appealing. They're really good at what they do. They're really, really good at what they do. In fact, um, when when uh, when you think about like so, like uh, there's this uh, a documentary called The Social Dilemma, and they talk about the the effective words that um, the social media uses and social media influencers use because particular wording and particular imagery will get your attention. False prophets are very effective, and they're people who pointed to the wide the wide gate and the wide road, pointed to a, the good life in a way other than Jesus. Because they make it seem easy. And there's a religious version and a non-religious version. I think when we, when we think of religion, we don't think of easy. We think of hard. There's a bunch of rules to fulfill. But what religion does is it, it takes following God and it boils it down to a couple of rules that are fairly easily attainable for us to do. So, you know, we, we don't make it really hard, but we don't make it too easy. So, you know, I, I'm 38. I can't dunk on a 10-foot basketball goal. But it'd be kind of ridiculous for me to lower it to six feet. But if I lower it to like eight feet or nine feet, it's kind of difficult, but I can still do it. That's what religion's like. And, and, and false prophets point us in that when they say, you know what? Here are the things that you need to do and you're good. Here are the things that you need to do. Not, there's non-religious versions of this too. Whether that's politicians or influencers or, or whether what you watch on Netflix or Instagram, all of these things are messages that are telling you that the good life exists somewhere other than Jesus. And all of these have something in common. They want all false prophets, all, all, things, all things that are trying to shake you, not just false prophets, want something from you. It says that they, they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That the exterior looks right. They say the right things, but underneath there's this picture of someone who will devour you, who will consume you, who will use you for their own ends. And so what false prophets or false teachers will do is they will get you to view more or they'll get more money from you. They'll get more attention from you. They'll basically try to get something from you to gratify themselves. But not just that, they, what shapes you want something for you. They're making a claim as to what the good life is. If you'll just do this, then you'll arrive. If you'll just do that, then you'll be successful. You'll finally be enough. You'll find what you've always been looking for. And we are constantly being bombarded with these messages. A study showed that the human brain processes 11 million bits of information per second, but only 50 bits of that is conscious, which means the grand majority of the things that are shaping you and the world that we're in, the things that you watch, the things that you consume, the voices you listen to, the articles you read are doing so, and you don't even know it. You're being shaped by something or someone. And a pastor in Seattle, Justin Anderson, says that the people you listen to make you the person you are. And psychologists have even seen this bear out. They say that you're the composite of the five people that you hang around the most. And so Jesus is giving a warning. It can be dangerous who is shaping you, what's shaping you. And so we need to ask ourselves that question, what shapes you the most? 
because the wide way is easy. You were you were born into the wide way. The, the, the wide way. You don't have to fight that. You don't have to. You don't have to fight being on the wide road. We're bent toward that life to prove ourselves and to to get what we think is ours. And this is why we need a new heart. Even even in this, we need a new heart to fight and push back and pursue the hard way. And this this is what Jesus has been getting at through the entire Sermon on the Mount is you can't do this on your own. So if you're consistently and constantly being bombarded by a message to go the easy way, you need something to shape you to follow Jesus on the narrow way. And one of those is time with Jesus, spending dedicated time with God in his word and through prayer is the best way to see God shape you. God gave this to you as what we call a means of grace, not to save you, but it's something that shapes you and forms you over time. We're going to be doing something in 2021 uh, called a discipleship plan, but we're going to give you some, some handles, some things that you can do to help God, help God shape you over the next year. But not just time with Jesus, but also time with other people. This is why we believe in community groups so much, that they are, they're built, they're built for, for real-life relationship with people. It's not just about studying the Bible, but it's about knowing others and being known. It's about serving others and being served. It's about loving others and being loved. What would happen if you sent, had people around you who loved Jesus and loved you? I'm, I guarantee it would shape you. So we need to be careful who's shaping us. But lastly, we need to watch what we need to watch what your heart produces. What's coming out of your heart? And Jesus calls this fruit. And the fruit is a good indicator if, of whether you're on the right track or not. Jesus says twice in verse 16 and verse in verse 20, you will recognize them talking about false teachers or false prophets by their fruits. You'll recognize them by their fruits. But it's also a good indicator for all of us, not just for false teachers. What is coming out of your life? What is your life producing? Is your life evidencing the fact that you have walked the narrow way and that you've trusted Jesus? Because fruit doesn't lie. You know, a tree bears the fruit that it's designed to bear. You know, we went apple picking a couple of months ago. That's one of my favorite things now about living in New England. It's going apple picking, Um, not so much for the apples, but for the apple cider donuts at the end of the apple picking. I like that. I like them better as donuts. And um, but as we're walking through this last time, we noticed that there were apple trees and there were pear trees. Now, to the blind eye, to me, I, I can't tell the difference between an apple tree and a pear tree. You can tell me a pear tree is an apple tree. If it doesn't have fruit on it, I would believe you. But once that apple tree starts bearing fruit, I know it's not a pear tree. You can't convince me that it's a pear tree because it bloomed apples. Now, it might have a sign in front of it that says pear tree, but it's clearly an apple tree. You can call it whatever you want to, but you can't really call it what it's not. Fruit doesn't lie. Fruit doesn't lie. You can call yourself a follower of Jesus, but if over time the fruit of following Jesus isn't there, you need to be really, really worried. You need to be careful. You need to examine your life and ask, what is wrong in my heart? Is something amiss? But also fruit takes time to flourish. Fruit takes time to flourish. You know, if you're looking at this in the negative and you're looking at a false prophet, you, know, you can fake obedience for a while. You can do the right things for a short time, but the heart always comes out. Some are really good at faking it and doing the right things, doing nice things, following the rules, but the heart eventually comes out. 
if you're if you're a new believer or, or maybe you, you God's been bringing you through some things be patient in the fruit that he bears you know sometimes you know it takes a while to see that fruit bear in your life and it's hard for you to see it this is another reason to be in community is asking other people how are you seeing God bear fruit in my life but it's important that we we watch for this kind of thing because it, in, in nature if you eat the wrong kind of fruit it could kill you it, it's vital and so in in the New Testament, the wheat had an evil twin named Darnell. Now, some of you are like, hey, I know Darnell. Um, but wheat had this evil twin called Darnell. And what it would do, it looked just like wheat. It was identical to wheat. And until, and until it came time for the harvest, you couldn't tell the two apart. And they had to be really careful at harvest time that sometimes wheat and Darnell would get mixed. And so as they would separate and sort out the wheat, they would make sure that they got all of that diseased, poison, toxic fruit out of the wheat. The warning sign. See, with people, there's usually some sort of warning sign. You know, when we see people who do good things, but maybe for the wrong reasons, we start noticing that they're done to manipulate. We notice in our own hearts that we're, we tend to be judgmental in the way that we do the right thing. That we're heartless and not graceful. That we're rigid, that we're self-righteous, that it's always about us and not about Jesus. See, the good fruit that we want to see bear in our lives is a growing love for Jesus. Are you increasing? Is your love for Jesus increasing? Now, it's kind of a, a journey like this, but it's always pointing upwards over, over time. Are you growing in your affection for Jesus? Are you growing in your love for his word? Do you want to spend time with him? Are, are you growing? Is the trajectory pointing upward over time in your love for the church and your love for other people? You can't say that you love God and you don't love others. Those two just don't work together. Are you growing in your love to do his will and put away sin? See, one of the ways that this passage gets misquoted is it gets misquoted as saying that good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. Because that's how our culture labels people. You know, you hold a bad idea or you do a bad thing and you're a bad person. But if you do what I like or you do what I consider to be good, I call you a good person. But that's not what Jesus says here. He doesn't lay it out in this good, bad binary because it doesn't work with people because who's truly good? No one. We use good and bad as a value statement, but Jesus uses a different category. He uses healthy and diseased. This is a distinction before God. See, healthy trees produce good fruit. Diseased trees produce bad fruit. See, bad fruit is a symptom of a heart problem. It's much like a medical symptom. You know, fever is, is not a, really a thing unto itself. It's a, it points to an underlying problem, an underlying sickness, an underlying disease. And so what does the Bible say about our hearts? What does the Bible say about our disease? Sin. Sin is the disease that plagues all of us. And the only difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who's not a Christian is God's grace. That God has dealt with our diseased hearts. That he has dealt with the problem that it plagues all of us. But you know what? Bad stuff still comes out of my life, too. Bad stuff still comes out of my heart because who else is sinful? I am. You are. When you see good fruit in my life, I see good fruit in your life. We praise God because the gospel is at work in our lives. But when we see bad fruit, and you will, as part of being in, in community, being in proximity with other people, sin is still at work, and we cling and we run to Jesus together. 
that bad stuff still comes out. And what this does is it humbles us and it shows us that all of us need Jesus, that we need Jesus to deal with our hearts because we can't take the narrow gate to follow God on our own. You can't be good enough. You can't fake it enough. You can't will yourself there. You need someone who can get you there. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look at the fruit of all of these other voices that are telling you where the good way is and see what actually comes of it. But he's also inviting us to look at him. Because Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He did the Father's will. And in humility, he denied himself. He took our sin. He paid for it so that we could be made right with God. And he could take us through that narrow gate to life with him. But I want you to remember that every worldview, every thinker, every way wants something from you and for you. And Jesus is no different. What he wants from you is he wants your whole life. He was very upfront about that. He made that very clear. He said, deny yourself, follow me. But what he wants for you is the key. He wants a new life for you. He wants the forgiveness of sins. He wants you to have a relationship with God forever. Jesus is the narrow way that leads to life. But here's the really incredible thing about it. It may be the only way, but anybody can get in on it. It may be the only way, but Jesus says that anyone who is humble enough to trust him can get in on it. Anybody can receive Jesus. And so my question for you is, have you, if you've not followed Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to share talk about what it looks like to trust him to forgive your sins. But if you have trusted him, I know how easy it is to get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted. So my question is, what's shaping you? Well, what needs to change in your life? What, 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 do you, what do you need to maybe lay down that, that, that's shaping you? And how do you need to pick up God's word to see it shape you for Jesus and his mission? Let's pray.